We're going to do one of those weird Ed things this morning. I've got a diagram for you. I don't know what it is. Sometimes I just can't feel like I can understand something unless I can diagram it. So I have a diagram this morning, but I'm trying something different. I'm not going to draw it on the chalkboard like I sometimes do. It's going to be on the screen. Today, we are continuing our series in renovation, experiencing undergoing personal transformation and change. God changing us from the inside out. In certain quarters, the idea of terraforming Mars has um, taken on real life. In research corners of NASA and other places like that, individuals and think tanks are thinking about terraforming Mars. Now, the word terraforming comes from terra for Earth and forming. So it means making an Earth-like planet out of another planet. You've seen it in science fiction movies. Mars seems to be a likely candidate. It presents itself well in some ways. You know, it's close enough to us to get to. It has an atmosphere. There are traces of water on Mars. There are serious problems with terraforming Mars. Mars has a very, very thin atmosphere. And the gravitational pull on Mars is one-third of the gravitational on Earth, so that would completely destroy basketball. We'd have to put the hoop at 30 feet. Then beyond that, Mars is negative 81 degrees Fahrenheit on average. Negative 80, you think it's cold here. Negative 81, that's 81 degrees below zero Fahrenheit as compared to Earth's average temperature. Check this out, this surprised me. 58 degrees is the average temperature of Earth. Negative 81 for Mars. And then beyond that, the Martian atmosphere has virtually no oxygen and very little nitrogen. So they'd have to find a way to thicken up Mars's atmosphere, first of all, and then inject huge amounts of oxygen and nitrogen into it. One of the schemes that they've come up with, it may be the most popular one right now. I don't know if you've seen this, but they've just unfurled, and I think they're going to fly one of these things soon. I guess at this point it's a satellite, but they're thinking this could eventually be rocket ship. And it's propelled by... I don't think it's solar power. I think it's just energy from the matter in the universe. And what they do is they have these, I mean, fiber thin, they're thinner than human hair materials that are on springs. And they wrap up almost to the size of a really, really large suitcase. They get out in space and they're unfurled and they're like 10 football fields. And they're these huge sails that propel whatever the object is through space I think, again, by collecting energy from the universe or matter in the universe, it may be solar energy, I'm not sure. Well, the latest theory is that maybe we could build a mechanism like this, two or three, that would orbit Mars, and the the sails would be the size of, say, the state of Connecticut, and it would collect sunlight and bounce it down to Mars. It would, first of all, warm up at least that part of the planet, And it also would be, and here's the critical point, here's the point of the illustration, it would be a consistent energy source. Because in order for Mars to be terraformed, you've got to have a short-term fuel source. You've got to fuel the change in the atmosphere, the thickening of the atmosphere, and then the change in the composition of the atmosphere to make it amenable to life. 
Because the Martian atmosphere right now will not support life. And in order for the Martian atmosphere to be built around Mars that would support life, uh, there has to be a short-term energy source, a, a fuel source, if you will, that injects something into the Martian atmosphere that would thicken it and, again, add oxygen. Then beyond that, you've got to have a long-term fuel source that will sustain that change and that will sustain the activity of making it an Earth-like atmosphere, a place that's habitable, a place that's life. What's the fuel source for personal renovation? When we talk about change, what is the fuel source? Because there has to be some short-term fuel source and then longer-term sustaining fuel source that can maintain the atmosphere change that would allow for spiritual life. What is the fuel source for personal renovation? So let me give you the first diagram. The first diagram, let's call it the renovation paradigm. And the first look at the renovation paradigm is going to be just a quick pass at what I think we typically think of. It's the default setting for how we think about personal change and transformation happening in our lives. And so what we start with is where we are right now. With all of the complexities, the presenting problems that we have, the barriers, those problems might be depression or it might be weight loss. So all of that is part of the complex of where we are and what we're looking for is this happier, better me. So we want to be transformed in this happier, better me. At the next slide, I think what we get is the flow, the activity, the what happens is the, of course, me becoming a better person. So that's the process, that's the flow of transformation. Next slide. I think what we also get is down here to the right. We get the handbook, we get the model. So where does the model come from for how that flow happens? Well, I think the model is often culture. Whether we realize it or not, you know, we watch a great romantic comedy, the end, happy ending, and we think, I want that. So where I am right now, the happier, better me would be that. We get it from articles we read. We get it from magazines, and we look at really handsome men, or we look at beautiful women, and we think, I want That, so that becomes part of the better me, the happier me. I think we also get it from people that we admire. Oh, I I wish I had a wife like that. Or I wish my husband could just treat me like that. Or, you know, I wish I knew somebody who could stand up on stage and sing like that and not spit while they did it. So that somebody that we admire or just our feelings. We have our own internal barometer of what we think will make us happier and will make us better. That becomes sort of the model for us. And then the flow, what you really get in that flow, right, is overcoming our interior hang-ups, our depression or our anxiety or whatever it is. And then you have exterior obstacles. And those exterior obstacles could be things intimately related to us, like weight loss, or they could also be things like, you know, I need a better job, I need to be making more money, more income. To be the rich guy, Phil, i got to make more money to have the stuff I want. And so the flow is kind of overcoming those interior hang-ups and the exterior obstacles. Now look at the fuel. So the, the arrows that drive us along that. I think the way we typically think about the fuel, the fuel for personal renovation is character. It's hard work. It's discipline. It's kind of making stuff happen in our lives. There's much about this diagram to commend itself to us. There's much about this diagram that's very good. I want to suggest a couple of problems. Number one, I think the goal is unattainable. 
That is nowhere the biblical goal for you. And I think the goal of you being a happier, better person, what it ends up producing is disillusionment, disappointment, perhaps addiction. Secondly, I think where we are, we often underestimate it, or we really just get it completely wrong. The analysis of the rights and wrongs of where we are is often very off. Listen, the Bible uses the word sin. And you've heard me say before, the best definition for sin is probably all of those things that we think and do in which we're trying to find our meaning or our purpose or our pleasure apart from God. So we tend to view sin as breaking the rules. And it needs forgiveness. We sing about forgiveness at Gateway. We think about sin as, I broke the rules, I need forgiveness. But there's not a recognition of sin often as a a deep and settled bent of our heart toward self-salvation and idolatry. We really often don't get how bad where I am really is. I think also the handbook is faulty. And it's faulty because it's unreliable. You know, we talked a couple of weeks ago. We'll talk again in a few weeks about how unreliable we are at knowing our own happiness. That sounds odd, but reams of studies have been done to demonstrate that right now Ed Allen is not really that good at knowing what will make seven years from now Ed Allen happier. But I think the biggest problem, the biggest problem with this and what we're going to talk about today, and this is one of those messages that I love to preach this, y'all, because today this is Christianity 101. I love this. I've thought about it all week, and I've prayed about it, and the issue today is not being too long, because I want to be brief. But today I want to talk about the fuel that drives, the energy source that drives renovation in our lives, because you guys, the fuel source here, while commendable, is completely wrong, and it's unsustainable. It will not work. So I'm going to read today two titanic passages of scripture if you don't have anything underlined if you have a physical bible if you still own one if you don't have anything underlined in this bible or in your phone bible if you don't have anything highlighted these two passages are passages to highlight we're going to look at two passages that describe what the writers of the first four books of the new testament the biographical accounts of jesus what they would call the gospel That word means good news. So today we're going to read two passages from the Apostle Paul that describe for us the gospel. And I'm going to look first at Titus chapter 3. It's a little book way back in the New Testament. Again, if you're on your phone, it's easy to find. Titus chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 3 through 7. And if you would, let's go old school. Stand with me out of reverence for this spectacular passage of scripture Titus chapter 3 verses 3 through 7 he begins by giving us just a brief big picture description of where we are on our diagram Titus chapter 3 at one time we too were foolish disobedient deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures we lived in malice and envy being hated and hating one another But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal. That word means renovation. 
by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. You may be seated. So first of all, where we are apart from God, let's do this quickly. We are foolish. We are disobedient. We are deceived. We are enslaved. We are ruled by malice and envy. We are hated and being hated. This is more than anxiety and weight loss. We have a heart bent toward disobedience, disregard, and thumbing our noses at God. And that results in brokenness and fissure in our relationship with one another and with ourselves. We are, in short, a mess. We've talked before about that incredible encounter of God that Isaiah had in Isaiah chapter 6. He actually goes in, I think, to the temple to pray, and he sees God. He has a vision, literally, of God. And, you know, this is what we long for. You and I think, oh, if I could only have something like that, I could really believe this stuff because I just wish he would come down and show himself to me. Then I'd have a party. I would invite all my friends, and I would be, whoo, God. I'm so excited, but that wasn't Isaiah's response. Isaiah sees God, he falls on his face, and he says, holy smokes, I'm unclean. And I, everybody I know is unclean. I had no idea. He's undone his word. What happened? Well, what happened is, he saved us. The Apostle Paul has ransacked the language looking for some imagery big enough to describe the dramatic impact that's happened. He saved us. I was a mess and He saved me. I was on my way to destitution and ruin. I was lifeless. And He saved me. I was not even an environment in which life could inhabit. I had to be terraformed. I had to be spiritual formed. He saved us. This is an exchange, remember that word, of one kind of living for another based on not our effort, not our discipline, not our hard work, based on His mercy. And this exchange, he describes further, was a cleansing. It was a rebirth. It was a renovation. It was a washing by the Holy Spirit. He took up residence in us. His Spirit took up residence in us. And what's the result? The result is that we inherit, among other things, we inherit the hope of eternal life. We don't fear death. As Phil said, we need to talk about heaven more. We lose all fear. And the quality of our life now changes. We have an eternal kind of life right now. Second passage. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Again, if you highlight anything in your Bible, highlight this one. Second Corinthians chapter 5, not as far back in the New Testament and a little bit bigger book, but still one of those small letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. And we're going to read chapter 5 verses 17 through 21. Spiritual aerobics. Let's go old school. Stand with me out of reverence for God's Word. If you don't have it in front of you, I hope you do, but if you don't have it on fr in front of you, it's on the screen. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. I'm reading from the New International Version. I give you all that giddy up because this is unbelievable. Verse 17. I'm not making this up. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. All of this is from God who reconciled us. That's a fancy word translated from an even fancier Greek word that means there was a serious problem. There was a rift in relationship when relationships began to drift apart in a way that was unimaginable. Vast different titanic gulf and drifting further apart the word that the Greeks would use for that relationship to be somehow brought back together is reconciled. We brought that same concept into English, haven't we? You can go to divorce court and get divorced for irreconcilable differences. But we have been reconciled. We were a mess. We were hating and being hated. We were filled with envy and malice, disobedient, enslaved. We weren't just a little depressed. We were ruined. And He reconciled us. All this from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ. And wonder of wonders gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We don't have time to talk about this part of the passage. Here's the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ. Not even counting people's sins against them. He's committed us the message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making His appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. And now this. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That's renovation in shorthand. You may be seated. So what we hear is that we are a new creation. Not a better version of me, not a happier me, but a new creation. A whole new way of being me. All this because we are in Christ. And this is from God. This gives us a look at the real fuel source. Jesus Christ, there was a a transaction and exchange. And that became the fuel source for the potential for real change in our lives. God's activity in Christ has reconciled us to God. So, we get a new diagram. Where I am right now, where I am apart from God, apart from a connection with God, where I am is hated and hating and being hated. I'm envious, I'm malicious, I'm disobedient, and I'm enslaved. But where I want to be is looking like Jesus. You remember what we said from week one in renovation? Your husband and wife, they want you to look like Jesus. Whether they know it or not. They want you to be kinder. They want you to serve them. They want you to take your life and lay it down for theirs. They want you to offer life to them. They want you to be life-giving wherever you go. Your workmates want you to look like Jesus whether or not they know it. And that's the goal for you. That's what we're being turned into. The biblical word would be glorify. That means bragging about. We make God braggable. We brag about God through our lives. Our lives become a billboard for what God is like as He slowly terraforms and He transforms us. So, 
Of course, we said the handbook, the only reliable handbook, is the library of God stories found in the Bible. Here's the flow. The process. What this looks like is me loving and worshiping God. It's me connecting deeply with other Christians. And we'll talk about this next week. It's me serving others. That's the flow. And then finally, the fuel is what we're going to call the gospel exchange. We trade our dying for His living, our effort for His accomplishment. We trade our sin for His righteousness, our exhausting self-reliance for His freedom and rest. We trade our offense of God for His reconciled oneness with God. As Paul would put it, we are literally saved and we are gathered up in Christ while He takes residence in us. And this becomes the fuel for renovation. This is what creates the atmosphere that can sustain spiritual life on planet Ed. This offers us the long-term energy source that real change demands and nothing else can. Nothing else can support long-term renovation on planet Diane but this fuel source, the gospel exchange, my life given over and taken up his. I love this. Eric Knox sent me this this week. It's a quote of all places from Bono. And there are some choice words in here that I'm going to dance around, but... The quote is amazing. It's a mind-blowing concept that the God who created the universe might be looking for company. A real relationship with people. But the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. I like this. You see, Bono says, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you, and eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, or in physics and physical laws, every action is met by an equal or opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet... Along comes this idea called grace to upend all that as you reap you sow stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. He didn't say stuff. That's between me and God, but I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to finally be my judge. I'd be in deep trouble. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sin onto the cross because I know who I am and I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. The point of the death of Christ, Bono said, is that Christ took on the sins of the world so that what we put out did not come back to us and that our sinful nature doesn't reap the obvious death that it deserves. That, that's the point. It should keep us humble. It's not our own good works that gets us through the gates of heaven. It's something else entirely. It's grace. It's the gospel exchange. So, I don't have time to do much with this. I may have to cover this another time, but I've got to tip my hand to it. Why isn't there more change in our lives if this is true? Because a lot of you have made this exchange. Some of you haven't. And I hope I'm speaking to some today who have never made this exchange. You have never given up your life. Because I realize that I'm a little bit of a mess, and if I keep going, I'm going to be a giant mess. You've never given that up and taken instead His life. Because you were living a life, I'm telling you, toward ruin and dying. It was not a life that would sponsor spiritual life. It was a life of dying. And He's offering you a death of living. So, those of you who've made that exchange, why is there not more change in our lives? Real quickly, I promise we'll get back to this before we quit this series. I think, first of all, I don't have time to to explain these, but first of all, I think we have changed, and we don't recognize it. 
Now, I asked two of you this week for me to, permission to tell your stories, and I ran out of time, so I'm going to ask you again. I'm warning you because you told me I couldn't. <laughs> but I think that there are many of you that I recognize change in your lives, and I recognize it in my own life. We have changed. God is changing us. We just are so close to it, we often miss it. But secondly, I think we're impatient. We want it now, and change takes time. I had a great analogy for that. I'll give it to you another day. Third, I think we confuse the goal. We think that renovation means that we'll be happy all the time. And you don't get that no matter what method you choose. But you do get a growing, deeper satisfaction, a joy underneath. And you do get happiness. He gives it. He provides it. We confuse the goal. The goal is that we look like Jesus. And that's sustainable. Finally, I think we've not placed our trust in the gospel exchange. Don't miss this, please. I implore you. We mistakenly allow ourselves to believe that we are stepping out of a life of fear and insecurity and self-absorption into a life of reliance on God and service to others. That sounds right. I'm going to read that again. We mistakenly allow ourselves to believe that we are stepping out of a life of fear and insecurity and self-absorption into a life of reliance on God and service to others. We mistakenly allow ourselves to believe that God has no problem with us. It's just that we're shortchanging ourselves. We're not living the life we should be living. We're not getting all out of our life that we should get. We ignore the barrier between ourselves and God. We ignore the gigantic distance that our heart tendencies have created between ourselves and God. And that distance eliminates all possibility for you and I to be better with one another and better with ourselves unless we bridge that gap. We're looking to adopt a new set of values and to live a life more meaningfully. And that's simply impossible unless and until we are radically changed from the inside out. We need a gospel exchange. We need the life of Jesus. Let me pray. Lord, we are this morning in deep need of you. Some of us having started by exchanging our death for your life, we've now taken up our death again. And we've grown worried or we've developed plans. We're thinking about discipline and hard work and how we get from point A to point B. And we want a better us, and we want a new set of values. Forgive us, Lord. We recognize this morning that we cannot get from point A to point B. Point B might even be the wrong destination. What we have to do is lay down and surrender. Give you our dying and take up your living. And then concentrate, concentrate and focus all of our attention on that. So this morning we bend our knees and we say, yes. Father, I pray especially this morning for any who are here who have never made that exchange. They may be sensing the push of your spirit on their heart right now. I want to ask you, Jesus, that you'll do what you did for me, that you will be unrelenting that you will push in. Lord, quicken us, awaken us, and change us to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand with us.
Let's confess our sins. Father, we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We have sinned in what we've done and what we've left undone. We've not loved our neighbor as ourselves. And we've not loved you with our whole heart. We ask that you would have mercy on us. You came in kindness and love. And we cling to that this morning. We ask that you would have mercy. And you would show us grace. We've come to the end of our effort. And we don't want karma. We want Jesus and we ask for him this morning. And we're so thankful that you promised us that if we confess our sin, you're faithful and just, and you'll forgive us, and you'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You'll take that, and you'll give us your life, and we don't know why, but we're thankful. We're thankful that Jesus paid it all. In his mighty name we pray. Amen. Uh, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed the night he was about to go do for us what we've just talked about, he took bread of the Passover meal and he broke it, but we don't have to. It's been cut for us. He broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So this is your opportunity to be a priest to one another. A basket will be passed down the row, and I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, the body of Christ broken for you, and you really need it. You to make sure you add that last part. If you're visiting with us and you can receive this meal of fellowship and mercy in your church, then you can receive it here. If you don't feel like you deserve it today, you're right, but we don't come to this because we deserve it. And if there is some reason that you're not going to participate today, then just let it pass by you. So I want you to take and participate. Hold it when you get it. But these folks will pass it to you right now. The body of Christ broken for you, and you need it. Take it and eat. At the same meal, he took a cup, and he said, this cup is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. So you'll turn to the person next to you and say, the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take it and drink. Thank you so much for coming today.